family, let's go ahead and dive into our time together. What a privilege and an honor it is to be here. I am a familiar face. I have been here for, Pastor Tammy, it's been over 10 years, but we're still 21. So how does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, the first time I was here, I'll never get tired of telling this story. The first time I was here, I actually performed mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to a guy in a parking lot right down the street. Saved his life. Uh, I'm, I'm a trained lifeguard, which some of you know. Uh, but what most of you guys don't know is I'm actually a swim coach. I was a swim coach for a number of years. And uh, my very first coaching job was coaching six to eight-year-olds at a uh, Olympic training center in Southern California. And I know, subtle flex. So uh, one of the kids on my team, I got to meet the very first day. His name was Kevin Kim, the cutest little six-year-old. And um, I was besotted with Kevin Kim. And he had a, as most six-year-olds have difficulty pronouncing some of their letters, he had little speech impediment. And um, he was the cutest, sweetest, kindest little kid. And his mom called him Little Frog because in the water for his breaststroke, he looked like the Kiro Kiro Kuropi frog from San Rio. I mean, he was the cutest little thing. He even had Kiro Kiro Kuropi goggles when he dove into the water. Precious kid. What I was totally shocked by was the tiny six-year-old little cutest Korean kid I have ever met in my life when in the water was faster than any eight-year-old on my team. So imagine my shock as I'm timing 25-meter sprints that this kid is faster than my seven-year-olds and my eight-year-olds. That weekend, we had a, our very first competition. So I definitely believe Kevin Kim was my dark stallion. He was going to be the dark horse that was going to beat everyone. So uh, the moment that the official shoots off the starting gun, Kevin Kim is in the water. And not only is he beating seven-year-olds, he's beating eight-year-olds by five to seven strokes. I mean, the kid is flying to the water and I'm like, that's right, that's my kid. Tell him everything he knows. I've been with him a week, okay? (laughs) But one fatal flaw in my coaching is that I had signed Kevin Kim up for a 50-meter swim, but we had only practiced 25-meter sprints. So, mm-hmm, you already know where I'm going. So he's about to touch the wall, does a flip, and he's still ahead of all the other kids. But halfway through the last leg of the competition, he starts to slow down, and that's when I start screaming from yay, Kevin, to go, Kevin, go. When all of a sudden his arms slow down, they come behind his head, and he comes up into a float. And I'm screaming at him, Kevin, go. And he looks at me and says, but I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm screaming when the seven-year-olds and the eight-year-olds pass him and Kevin Kim comes in dead last. I pulled him out of the water and I'm looking at him straight in the face and I said, Kevin, what happened? And he looked at me so exhausted. He said, I'm so tired. Maybe you are watching online or you're here today and you dragged yourself up out of bed. You hopefully showered. You came to church today. And no matter what you're here, you just feel so tired. I'm going to talk to you and coach you the way that I coached Kevin Kim. I made him a promise. And I said, Kevin, if you keep on showing up and you keep putting in the work, you will beat every eight-year-old in this competition. But we're going to have to work. And if you don't envision, family, please listen to me. If you don't envision winning at the end, you will give up in the middle. I made Kevin Kim a promise that day. I said... If you stay with me and you train with me, you will win every race and I will give you a Kiro Kiro Kuropi tell at the next competition. That kid went on to be every eight-year-old and I did buy him a Kiro Kiro Kuropi tell, all right? 
Listen, family, I'm going to tell you what I told Kevin Kim, which is also the title of today's message, if you are the note taker, is you are too close to quit. The title of today's message is Too Close to Quit. Turn with me in your Bible to Joshua chapter 6. We're diving into the Word of God quickly. Um, There are a lot of verses this morning, so if you skip Bible reading this week, we will make up for it today, family. If you don't have a Bible, I'm passionate about the Word of God being a sword Uh, the sword of the spirit to war off the the tactics of the enemy. If you don't have a Bible, thanks to people who give and sow into this church, if you need a Bible, we have one for you. As you turn to Joshua 6 and pull out your notebooks, your pens, your highlighters, here's a little bit of context. Uh, The Israelites had just escaped 400 years of slavery and they got to see God move in miraculous ways by parting the Red Sea under the leadership and authority of Moses. Well, Moses graduates and goes to heaven and gives a spiritual authority to Joshua, leader of the Israeli army. And uh, they're about to inherit a promise. A promise we'll get to in a second. But in Exodus 33, God promises Moses a land. That's why Israel is called the promised land. It was promised to Moses. And that promise was given to Joshua. Take these people into the land that had been promised to us, a land full of milk and honey. So Joshua is about to embark on inheriting the promise. But there is a problem. There is a Jordan River that's in front of them. The Lord does a similar miracle as he did for Moses in parting the Red Sea. He parts the Jordan River and they're about to step into the promised land. And this is where we pick up the story. Joshua chapter six, verse one begins with, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. If you brought a a pen or a highlighter, I want you to circle the word because. I believe in biblical graffiti, so mark up your Bible. And if you didn't bring a Bible, but your neighbor did, mark it up for them. You're welcome. Because, because of the Israelites, no one went out, no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have, underlined the word have, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for how many days, church? Oh, the answer's on the screen. Say it with your chest today. For how many days? Do this for six days. Then have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the what day? Mm, That's interesting. On the seventh day, march around the city. How many times? With the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. What is that, church? That's a promise. That is a good word. Thank you, brother. Yes, but that's a promise. God promises something to Joshua. Do this and you will receive this. That's a promise. Do you know across this room at every campus and online that there are people in this room that have been promised things from God that we have not yet possessed? What do we do in the waiting? You know God has spoken to you. You know God has promised you something. You are believing that whatever painful situation that you're in, that God will redeem it. Maybe you're new to church and this word of promises feels so foreign and far off that you can't believe it. But let me pull some promises out of the word of God that are for you and me. Whether you are old or young, black, white, Asian, Haitian, Eurasian, Croatian, you are loved, you are known, you are created in the image of God, that he has a plan and a future for your life, that every sin and mistake and failure can be erased because of what Jesus did in the cross at Calvary. And the same resurrected power that raised Jesus from the grave, as Romans 10 tells us, can live in you and me. That's some promises I want the people of God to hold on to. But I'm saddened as so many people in the church, so many people in the church are walking away from God, are walking away from church, walking away from community because they feel let down by God. 
God didn't do it. I'm leaving church because the pastor offended me. He preached the word of God, all right? Pick it up with God, not the pastor. (laughs) You know what? I'm walking out of this job because my boss has the audacity, the audacity to tell me to show up on time while you show up with your venti macchiato that you waited 20 minutes in line for. I'm going to leave my friends. I'm going to leave my friends because, because they're mean to me. Or they're telling you you have broccoli in your teeth and you smell. That's accountability, sis. Like, we have people walking away and quitting because quitting is easier than staying the course. It's easy to throw in the towel. It's easy to walk away. It's easy to throw away promises because we feel like it shouldn't be this hard. Really? Really? When God puts promises in your life, we hold on to them for dear life because it's God, as, he, as God promised the children of Israel a promised land, there are people in this room that have not yet possessed the promises of God and have been brought here with the word to tell you, don't give up, don't quit. You are too close to quit. The children of Israel were about to embark on a land that was promised to them. And you know what they needed? They needed some godly grit. They needed some godly grit. I've actually studied the topic of grit and resilience for almost, I did the math, almost three years now. And not because I wanted to write a book, but because I needed it. Yeah. There's a season in my life where it felt like everything was imploding and crumbling, and I know what I'm called to. Yeah. I had two choices, and guess what? You have two choices. You either believe God and endure, or you walk away and quit. There's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground. And if God has promised you something, there will be promises that God will give you, but there will always be pro- problems standing between your possession of those promises and what we're called to. So what you need is grit. Write this down, write this down, pull out a pen, a notebook. What is grit? Grit is passion and perseverance towards a goal despite difficult obstacles. I'm gonna say it twice because it was nice. What is grit? Passion and perseverance toward a goal despite difficult obstacles. Hard things are going to come. Greater is, you that is, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Maybe you're here today and you're full of faith and you're full of vigor and there's nothing that you can't leap over, no hurdle you can't get over, great. I affirm you, I cheer you on and say keep going, but I see so many Christians giving up when they are so close to winning the battle. There's no judgment here. Please hear me. I validate your exhaustion, I validate your pain, but I love you too much to let you stay there. Why are we giving up? Why are we giving up? We're giving up because we feel like we're doing all the right things and yet everything's going wrong. We're giving up because we believe that God is able. We believe that he can do all things. All things are possible through him, but yet we're not seeing results. We're disappointed because we are praying and believing for other people and they're getting their breakthrough while we're not getting ours. Now there's tons of scientific research and studies that is dense and academic, but I've discovered that resilient, gritty people possess similar characteristics, these three characteristics that will supersede gender, ethnicity, social class, and status. Do you want to know what these three characteristics are? That these three characteristics, if possessed, makes you a gritty and resilient person. For the one Pentecostal that came today to learn, I'm grateful for you. (laughs) Yes, sir. Talk back. Talk back to me, brother. I appreciate you. This is going to be a grid and a matrix that we're going to go through and hold on to as we lay over the passage that we just read, Joshua 6. But these are the three hallmarks, the three characteristics of gritty, resilient people. The first one is perspective. And we're going to unpack that in a second. The, the, the second is per- a pivot. And the third one is purpose. Three Ps of resilience. Now, I chose this passage specifically because it gives us a strategy 
to stay in our calling and pursue the promise. I want us to build grit. By the end of this service, I'm gonna give you some practical handles because I want you to apply this to your life. Maybe I could put the food in front of you, but you're gonna have to eat it. I want you to apply it this week. So the first thing that we need to do to build grit, to build grit is to be aware of our perspective. What I'm gonna go as far as saying is for some of us in the room, we need to change our perspective. Some of you walked into church today and you're like, I know God is able, but he's not doing it for me. I'm not sure he's with me. I'm not sure he forgives me. I'm not sure he loves me. This is miserable. My marriage is not gonna make it. My wayward child ain't gonna come back. Those 10 pounds that I've been praying to God to lose since 1995, they're still not falling off. Like whatever it is, fill in the gap, fill in the gap. What is the ability to change our perspective do for us? Well, let's define perspective. Perspective is this, an honest assessment of reality while maintaining hope. Perspective is an honest assessment of reality while maintaining hope. What does that mean? This is not a fake faith. This is not a stick my head in the sand and pray it all away. Us, us, us four and no more. Us in our holy huddle. God's gonna do it. No, he's gonna do it. I just, I can't deal with people. No, 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 it's not a fake faith. It's holding the tension of our reality. My marriage feels like it's up in flames. But we're going to counseling and working through and holding on that God can restore. It's buying the the king-size bed in your singleness, believing that the Lord is going to bring you a spouse. You know what I'm saying? Hello, somebody. Single people, I'm going to encourage you to get into a small group and start serving. Because serve the house, find a spouse. I prophesy in the name of Jesus. All right? Yes. It's believing, it's believing that the wayward child who's been strung out on drugs for eight months is gonna come back and find healing and restoration for Jesus, but I might have to pay for rehab. It's an honest assessment of reality while maintaining hope. And for the Israelites, they had a promise, a land that was promised to them, but there's always a problem standing between our promises and our possession. There's always a problem. You know what, preachers don't like to talk about this. We love to talk about the promises of God because then you leave real good. But we don't like to talk about the cost of the promise, what, it's, what we have to do to inherit that promise. It's going to require work. And sometimes it's not easy. We've got to do the work of maintaining. I'm going to still, every single day, show up and do what God's called me to do despite the progress. For the children of Israel, the problem is obvious. It's in verse 1. The problem is Jericho on the screen, that there was a city called Jericho that was tightly barred up because of who? The Israelites. That's right. So wait a minute, the people of Jericho, they had heard about the Israelites. They had heard about their God, Yahweh. They had heard that Yahweh parted the Red Sea. Yahweh dried up the Jordan River. This God that they serve is with them and they're terrified. They were on lockdown. This city was impossible to get into. Um, Theologians believe that this was a a double walled city. So a walled city was very impenetrable, hard to get into, but Jericho specifically was a double walled city, meaning that the first wall would have been angled at around 45 degrees. And then the secondary wall would be a 90-degree wall coming all the way straight up. So if, if soldiers could scale the first wall, they will definitely not scale the second wall. So this is an impossible situation. But, but all throughout Scripture, we see that impossible is the exact ingredients needed for God to do a miracle. So what looks intimidating to you is just the place that God needs you to be. And I believe, I believe that sometimes the Lord will bar up situations, bar up promises, put red tape around it because the enemy knows that when we receive that promise, when we get the miracle, that there is no denying that God is with us and he's a promise keeper. So the enemy is working double time saying, no, I don't want them to get it. But I want us to keep pressing towards the promise that God has given us as individuals and as a people. The promise of this church, the goal and the vision is to remain the same, to bring those lost, far from God, here to find a home. 
That doesn't change. What is the promise that God is speaking over you, over your life, over your family? Look at verse 2. Verse 2 to me is comical. People say, oh, the Bible's boring. No, baby, you're boring. God's got jokes. God's got jokes. In verse 2, he says, see, I have, I have delivered Jericho. That's future tense. As a writer by trade, I laugh at that because I feel like I have, I need to have a conversation about grammar and tenses with the Lord. But see, God's funny because only God can say, I have delivered. The battle has already been won. I've already done, did it. Look at God. Look at God. Everybody give God a clap of praise because he's already done. Go before your battles. We all love to clap for that. He's done it. Yes. But what happens when what you see doesn't look like what God has said? What about those things that God has whispered to your heart, but they haven't manifested in your life? What do you do? God promised me things, and it doesn't look further than the truth. Sometimes the enemy likes to put our problem in front of us to mess with our perspective. So Jericho is a a double-walled city, very difficult to get into. And I think that many of us are looking at situations in our lives, and we're looking at the walls in front of us rather than the God that is above them. I want us to be like the psalmist who says, when there's walls in front of us, I want us to look at the walls and keep going up where we get to declare, I look to the heavens. Pastor Daniel, what's that verse? It was on the tip of my tongue. I look to the hills to see where my help comes from. My helper comes from the maker of heaven and earth. That's right, it came to me. That's right, Awana Bible study memorization. I need to put that in my notes. See, that's why you always need to have a PhD trained pastors in the front row. Y'all don't know what pastor you have. You need to write him thank you letters, send him Starbucks gift cards, give him gift certificates, because this man is trained. You are being fed good. You're not being fed 99 cents cheeseburgers. You're being fed filet mignon, baby, okay? No. Many of you know my story, but, but the reason why I'm preaching this point, not because it sounds like a good preaching point, I'm preaching this because I'm living this my entire life. No one would look at me as a a first-generation American living in the concrete jungle of East Los Angeles, illiterate at the age of 12, morbidly obese, weighing more than my father, and say, that girl, that girl's destined with promise. But I will not let someone else write my story, and I will definitely not let my insecurity write a story because there's promises upon my life. I know what God has whispered to me. I know what he's whispered to me, and if we don't envision winning at the end, we will give up in the middle. What are the ways that we are tempted to quit? We lose perspective. We are tired and we don't see the progress. And so this is what I want us to do as we're building grit. This is point number two, that we progress despite progress. And someone in here is like, did you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable? No, 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 no. (laughs) We progress despite progress. Newton's third law of motion says for every action, there's an equal and opposing reaction. So if I'm in a car and I step on the gas, the car goes. If I step on the brake, the car stops. But we don't see this happen in this text. Newton's law of motion doesn't apply to the the good God that we serve because God is about to have a a conference call with Joshua. He's like, hey, Joshi, I'm about to give you a plan. It's a little crazy, but I need you to listen. Look at verse three. Verse three, march around the city once with all the armed guards. Do this for how many days? We're gonna come back to that. Don't let me forget that. I forgot him first. That's why you gotta sit in for two services. There you go. Uh, Verse four, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark on the seventh day. March around the city, how many times? With priests blowing trumpets. 
For me, I love motivation. I hear this and I'm like, Lord tells me to do A, I will get B, right? I'm motivated, I'm goal-oriented, I love to-do lists, I create to-do lists for my to-do list. I'm so jacked up and OCD that I write things on my to-do list I've already done for the sick satisfaction of scratching it off my to-do list. All the people who are laughing and clapping, they're crazy OCD people too, all right? So for me, I'm like, hey, I put in the effort, God, do your thing. As if God is a genie in a bottle that we rub and caress for every want and every wish. So if I am Joshua, or if I am a soldier following Joshua, which I would be the worst soldier, because I'm thinking, okay, if we march around the walls of Jericho, guess what? A wall is going to shake. A brick is going to fall. The earth is going to quake, but God's going to give me a sign because I'm obedient. On day one, I did what he asked me to do. Now, God, what are you going to do? Mm-mm. The hallmark of gritty people is that even when we don't understand, we have the ability to pivot, which is point number three. We have the ability to pivot. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually knew what was coming before it was coming? Because if you notice in the text that we read, God gave the instructions to Joshua, but the people who were serving the army, they didn't know how long they were gonna have to march. They simply had to obey. And maybe you've come into church today and you feel like the Lord is calling you to pivot. You don't understand, but the Lord's calling you to pivot. You thought you were gonna be in the C-suite, corporate, 500 job, and the Lord called you out of that to change 75 diapers a day as an adoptive parent. Or maybe, maybe you thought that you, you're in a relationship, you've been dating them for three years, you're like, surely this is my spouse, and all of a sudden the Lord's shouting, pivot, break up with them. Maybe you've been in a job and you feel like there's an opportunity for a promotion and it's gonna require more time out of your schedule, less time that you're able to serve at church or be in a small group and the Lord's calling you pivot. Say no to the money. Say yes to my God call upon your life. Ooh, what do we do? What do we do? You know what I love about the small groups uh, that we have here? No one is promising you a new best friend or a potential spouse. I mean, it has happened. I've seen it. We testify to the glory of God. But no one's promising you this perfect small group. Well, what I am promising as a pastor, what I have seen happen time and time again, is that when you gather around with people in community, in those moments that feel scary or we feel like we want to give up, people around you will remind you of the God call upon your life, the promises that God has whispered to you and won't let you give up when you want to quit. And sometimes their faith is the faith that we need because we don't even have it ourselves. In those moments, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We don't have time to go through the entire story, but for those who have been in vacation Bible school or Sunday school, you're familiar with this passage they march around the walled city on the seventh day and the walls come tumbling down after the children of the Lord give a loud shout in victory. There's high fives and there's chest bumps and everyone's excited because the Lord kept his promise. Now here's the interesting thing. They did this for six days. Scripture was very particular about six. And if you were here at Flavor Conference yesterday, you know that I'm a word nerd that loves biblical numerology. Every time that there's a number and it's a number that's repeated, we should pause for the cause and take note. The number six in biblical numerology represents the number of man. So for six days, the number of man and man's strength, they walk around the walled city every single day and nothing happens. So what can we extrapolate from this passage? I don't know. This is me. But for me, I'm going to march even though I don't think it matters. I'm going to march when nothing in my life seems to move. 
I'm going to march and I'm going to forgive them even though, even though they don't even deserve it. I wasn't going to say that, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to forgive them even when they don't deserve it. I'm going to march. I'm still going to pray. When the doctors say it's impossible, I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to pray even though I'm on the verge of bankruptcy. I'm still going to obey God. This message is for someone who has lost their perspective. This message is for someone who needs to pivot and doesn't know how. I need to remind you today that even though your progress isn't obvious, that doesn't mean that God is not moving, that God is not working, or that God is not faithful. So we have to march even when it doesn't make sense. Because in the marching, what if God cares more about the internal? than what's going on in the external. What if God cares about more of what he's doing on the inside than what is going on around you? The children of God obeyed, even though it didn't make sense. Look at verse eight. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. Side note for a second, let me word out and be a geek. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. So, 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 so they wouldn't move forward unless the presence of God was with them. You want to know a hallmark of this church? We will not move forward unless the presence of God is with us. I came to Revival Nights. I've been coming here for almost ten, over 10 years. And you want to know what's so, so crazy? I talk to people and they're like, I love coming here. The vibes are so good. The energy's good. No, baby, that's the presence of God, all right? What you're feeling is Holy Spirit chill bumps, baby. The presence of God is here and we're not going to show up to look cute. We're not going to waste time, sing three songs, throw in five cents in the offering bucket and, do, bucket and deuce out. Heck no. We came to be in the presence of God. We're not going to move forward until we meet with the presence of God. Carry on, verse 9. The armed guards marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed. All the time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua commanded the army, do not give a war cry or raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. Sometimes the best strategy is to shut up and march. Sometimes when you have an opinion and you're offended because you think that you know what's best for your life and you try telling your God about your solutions and he's like, baby, shut up and march. Shut up and march. Joshua knew on the first day that this would only be for six days, but the soldiers didn't. The children of Israel didn't know that. Look at verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, and the army returned to camp and spent the night there. I believe, speculation, I'm gonna step away from the Bible, speculation. I believe that there was mumbling and grumblings within the Israeli army. And I'm sure they're thinking, like many of us would think like, how long are we gonna have to do this? This is kind of ridiculous. Like what's next up on our strategy? Throwing up rose petals and skipping with our neighbors of Jericho? Like, am I the only skeptical person here? Because if God wants me to circle a city, I'm gonna feel stupid. Now put, your, put yourself in the pages of scripture. If you are the people of Jericho and you're watching the people of Jericho, I'm sure are thinking, on day one, they're thinking, oh, they are uh, marching out the land to get a strategy to take down our city. But then on day two, when nothing happens and no one's saying anything and they're just marching, maybe the people of Jericho start inciting maybe some insults. Maybe they start hurling insults to incite some sort of movement. Like, what are they going to do? And then on day three and day four, maybe they start hurling, instead of just insults, they start hurling stones and trying to incite. This is what I believe. And again, I say this is speculation. 
for me, as I learn through this text, but most importantly, as I walk out and live this in my life, there will be people who will not understand my decisions in obeying the Lord. It won't make sense. They're gonna laugh at me. They're gonna hurl insults. They're gonna have opinions, but I just have to shut up and trust that God is on the throne. No matter what people say, I'm still going to continue to push towards the promise that the God has for me. Verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing trumpets. They jumped down to verse 13. They did this for six days. The funny thing is, is that we don't have in clear instructions on how long we're gonna have to do things. Like I wish, scripture, it would be so much easier if we said yes, three more months of chemotherapy and then the cancer's gone. Uh, two more years of marital therapy, and then you will have the perfect marriage. Six more months of praying for your wayward child, and they will come back and sit next to you and worship the Lord here at church. No. So on the fourth lap, fifth lap, and you're saying, how much longer, God? How much longer will I have to eat broccoli and chicken breast to lose the weight that I've been trying to lose since 1995? How much longer, Lord, will I have to sleep in this cold bed when I really just want to be cuddled up to someone who loves me? How much longer will I have to be in this bed with the person I prayed for? And now I'm praying like, Lord, will you please take this person out? No. How much longer? How much longer? How much longer? Family, this is the last and final point. I want us to discover the purpose. Dr. Anita gave us some language yesterday that I want to love and bring to clarify. I'm not saying find purpose in your pain because that purpose is from God. I'm saying we live in a broken and fallen world and sin is here because of sin and brokenness. There's pain that we're gonna have to walk through. But I'm saying let God take your pain and use it for his purpose. He didn't cause it, but he will use it. If you place that pain in the hands of a good father, the vital thing that we see here is resilient, gritty people have an honest perspective of their reality. We have an ability to pivot and they can find purpose. You might be here today and you're like, I, I, I don't see that. I'm tired. I feel like everything around me is cloudy. I don't feel like I can go on another day. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Paul the apostle says, do not grow weary in doing good for in due season, you will, you will, you will, you will reap a harvest. So you march when you don't feel like it. You march when it doesn't make sense. You march when you don't wanna do it. And it's in the circling of the walls that my faith in God gets stronger. I've been here before, I can do it again, God. I need you to show up and I need you to do what only you can do. There's a woman in California, I'm from California, I'm a little biased, bear with me, but her name is Florence Chadwick. And she was one of the very few people that swam both sides of the English Channel. As a native Californian, she had heard about a man who swam the longest uh, water race at this point in history from the shores of California through the treacherous waters to Catalina Island. She was so motivated, she said, I wanna do the same thing. So she began to train and train and train the day that she was gonna swim from the shores of California to the shore of Catalina Island. Uh, her captain, her coach, her mother, and a couple crew were on a dinghy next to her to watch out for uh, sharks or debris or deep waves, dark waters. And alongside of her, they were encouraging her, go Florence, go. She swam and swam and swam, but if you're familiar with California waters, there's a thick, dense fog that comes over the waters. And so as she was swimming, the fog rolled in and she lost her way. 
She was shouting, I don't know where I am. But the crew didn't know where they are because the fog was so dense. She was exhausted, she was weary, her arms were burning, her shoulders were hurting. And she said, I'm done. We pulled her up into the boat. And after a couple hours of the fog dissipating, they realized that they were one mile from the shore. Maybe you're too close to quit. Florence decided that she was gonna try again the very next year, so she trained and trained, and the day that she was gonna swim, the dinghy boat was set with her captain, and the coach, her mom, and the crew to watch out for sharks, debris, and dark waters. And same thing happened. A dense fog rolled over through the waters, except this time, she didn't think she was lost. She said, I've been here before. I know what to do. So she kept going and kept going and kept going. And as the fog dissipated, she got closer and closer to the shore. She was tired, she was salty. They pulled her out and they were screaming. And she thought that they were excited because she made it, but they were excited because she came in two hours earlier than the one man who had ever done it in history. I have come here to tell you, baby, you are too close to quit. You might be tired and exhausted, but keep swimming. Keep swimming, keep going, keep marching, keep running. And if you're here today and you're like, I'm tired, I'm tired, baby, I'm the daughter of a United States Marine Corps officer. We leave no man behind. So if you're tired and you can't move, I will pick you up and drag you on my back. We leave no one behind because there is a land that is promised for us. We will inherit the goodness of God in the land of the living. So church, I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to quit. I get that you're tired, I see you. But I'm telling you, the spirit of the living God will be able to give you life and strength that you didn't know that you had. In all of our locations and including online, can we stand to our feet? I'm praying a spiritual impartation of strength over your life to remind you, grit, don't quit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you might be knocked down, but baby, you're not knocked out. You came to church, gritty gangster. And so I'm praying that the spirit of God come over you and flood you with strength that is supernatural. Spirit of living God, we give you this moment. We ask God for every broken part of our heart that you mend it. For every fractured part of our soul that you bind it. For every scattered and shattered part of our brain, God, will you pull it together? We need your strength. Your people are desperate and crying out and saying it doesn't make sense. But we will continue to march and walk even when it doesn't make sense. Remind us, God, we are too close to quit. Fill us with your spirit to do what we cannot do. In your son's mighty name, Jesus, the church of God says, amen. God bless you, family. Love you. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Feel free to rate, review, and share with a friend. If you'd like to find out how you can get involved or partner with us financially, visit lifepoint.org or download the LifePoint app. Thank you for your generosity. We can do so much more together than we ever could apart. See you soon.